the Torah portion. The Torah portion is named after Yitro, the father-in-law of Moshe, but um, it contains like probably the most famous of all the Torah, which is the ten, the ten commandments, the ten words. You know, um, so it's surprising that it's called Yitro instead of like the Ten Commandments or something. You know, but you know, in, in the Hebrew, they just grab the first unique word and they, that's what they name the portion. So in Exodus 20, verse 1 and 2, it says, um, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, I am your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage. Um, so the Peshat of that is, you know, just, you know, it's the very beginning. Some people, um, some scholars have said that, um, um, well, most Hebrew scholars have said that that's the first of the 10 words. But um, over the years, it's kind of that that became not the first. That's just kind of like intro type of thing. Um, but in, in I guess in, in most of our sages, they say that that's the first beginning of the ten words. You know. So we have the ten words, the ten commandments. Aseret hadevarim, the ten words, or aseret hadibarot. The ten pronouncements, um, um, very important, right? Um, and so, this in the beginning, it's saying, you know, I am, I am your God. Um, I created you, essentially. I'm the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So I, you know, I'm the one who did this stuff. Um, then the the sages have something to say about this. So they say. How were the 10 pronouncements or 10 words arranged? They say there were five on one tablet and five on the other. Thus, on one tablet was written, I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage. Opposite it, opposite it on the other is written, you shall not murder. So it's, it's splitting the two, the five, five on one and five on the other. Um, and this, this informs us that if one sheds blood, it is accounted as if one had diminished the image of God. This can be likened to a human being, human king. When he enters a city, they erect portraits and images and mint coins in his likeness. After a while, they upset his portraits, break his images, and deface his coins, thus diminishing the likeness of the king. Thus, if one sheds blood, it is counted as if one had diminished the image of God. As it is said, whoever sheds, sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for in his image did God make him. It's in Genesis 9, verse 6. So um, it's interesting, this, this Midrash about the, 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 the 10 words being on two separate tablets and then five being on one tablet and five being on the other tablet. Um, I think it was only it was only mentioned by one sage. Um, it was the opinion of one sage, Rabbi Hananiah, son of, son of Gamliel. And most of the sages said it was um, ten, 10 on one and 10 on another so that you will have a copy. So one, one, it would be kind of like when you make a contract, each, each person of the, of the, each of the two people that were in the contract have a copy of it, right? But, um, Yet this one opinion has been uh, 
adopted by all, like all of Judaism because they see the, the beauty of it. You know, they see this connection. Uh, if you ever watched um, an Aleph Beta, um, Rabbi Foreman, Rabbi Foreman gives a beautiful uh, connection analogy to all these commandments and shows how each one connects. It's really neat. About an hour long, I think, but it's, it's worth it. So if you have time to go watch that on uh, Aleph Beta, I would uh, recommend it. Um, and so, um, and I guess that has come from Rabbi Hananiah, uh, son of Gamaliel, that this idea, these ideas come from him. So, um, and so what it really teaches us, at least these, these first two commandments, sorry, this first and sixth commandment teaches us how, how we are made in the image of God and how, um, how life is sacred, essentially, how, how we need to, I guess, respect um, the gift of human life, you know, you know, and respect how important it is to Hashem and how it reflects on Hashem. And so um, all human beings are to be treated with dignity and human life is to be considered not only valuable, but sacred. So then he, he um, Rabbi Hammer goes into his own personal, um, personal um, connection with it. When he, he said, he said when he visited Poland and saw um, all the uh, terrible things that happened there with the Holocaust, um, how how just how completely how sad it was and and also he said it's kind of ironic that the people who brought the idea of sacred life of life is sacred um you know, human life is sacred um were the ones that were uh, treated with the least dignity of their lives you know um, they were the ones who were, were were you know murdered you know essentially murdered like this like the sixth, sixth commandment you know and also how like the people you know the how the germans were like supposed to be like the top you know the most educated the most smart you know have all the great ideas and everything and yet they're the ones who who debased um the jew as being less than human you know it's like it's 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 kind of insanity, and but yeah, we still still see this kind of ideas, these kind of strange um, ideas in our world today. You know? So you know, he was trying to connect them all together, and it, it, you know, he realized these these two important lessons um, that we learned from the Shoah. First, we must never let this happen to us again. That's the first lesson, of course. And the second is we must always fight against the concept that humans can be divided into superior and inferior races. Um, so we can now, uh, never think of like this human is better than this human. You know, that we all have, we are all made in the image of Hashem and we are all um, have equal value. You know? and so, so we must do Think, you know, we must remember, uh, we must reject any of those kind of beliefs and affirm the sacredness of all human life. We must never permit the image to be diminished, the image of Hashem to be diminished. And so these are the, the lessons that we learn, at least from the, that first and that last commandment. Um, may we continue, may we remember, you know, remember, we never forget what happened. May we always um, 
put human life sacred above all um, other life. And, um, and you know, if you have time, go, go to Aleph Beta and, and watch that video about the, the, the commandments connection, the connection between the various commandments. It's very, very interesting. It's very good. I can't remember all of them. But, um, I should I should go watch it again too because it's very it's very nice very deep super deep so that's all I have today. Shalom, everybody. You have something? Yeah. Uh, on top of that, I think there's a new teaching on Aleph Beta that we hadn't seen it that actually shows how uh, I don't know if it's all the Ten Commandments, but at least the first five were pulled from. Well, they have the same words as. Moshe's objections to going to Israel when he was in Egypt, you know, yeah, interesting. Um, and so in this, in this portion, you know, we get this, this saying that we, it's sussed out more actually probably before the Israelites go into Canaan, uh, you know, pre-Israel, but, um, and that's the phrase of, you know, the Mamleka Kohanim to be a uh, nation of priests, but here it's a Goi Kadosh, the holy nation. Later on, Moshe says that you're uh, nation of kings and priests. But, you know, this, this brings the question, what exactly is a priest, right? I mean, obviously, I think everybody usually relates it to uh, after Torah is given and the Kohanim, like the Levitical priesthood is established, our own sons. But we have certain passages where, even in this one in particular, uh, Yitro is called the Midianite priest, right? And we've got Melchizedek, but from before, who says he's a priest to God, king of Salem. Um, and, you know, it's, it begs the question as to if that's pre-Torah, what does it really mean? You know, okay. So uh, what's usually, so, well, okay, so this uh, commentary by Sachs, he talks and says that a priest is, in one aspect, a priest is one who's consecrated to the service of God. Um, and that's a, a general uh, you know, the obvious, but some other commentators like Sadia Gaon, Rashi, and Rashbam understand it to mean princes. Uh, and actually, in our in the Chabad translation online, that's what they actually put there is a nation of princes. Um, and that's based off of 2 Samuel 8 18, in which David's sons are described as Kohanim, which obviously in that context with them cannot mean priests, but it must mean royalty, noblemen, or princes, since, and since God is the supreme king of kings. Um, and he has described Israel as my son, my firstborn child. It follows that Israelites were children of the king and royalty. And then a very interesting suggestion from, you know, uh, Soforno, the, the great Italian commentator. He says, he interprets it to mean that Israelites stand in relation to the rest of the world and humanity as the children of Aharon stood vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the Israelites. So in the same ways that... that uh, the Chonim were set up, the, the Levitical priesthood was set up to serve the Israelites. So are, so is all of Israel called to serve the world. And so they, they are, in essence, the world's priests. I think the, easy, the best example of that, an easy one to pull from is Sukkot, where uh, all, the, all the bull sacrifices that Israel ends up making ends up being 70, and it's really for the nations, for the 70 nations. And um, actually, you know, he's, Sachs Marks, it's notable that Soforno says this in the Italian Renaissance, where the Italian Renaissance was such a huge reformation for Judaism, if not the biggest, where Judaism interacted with the culture and the world around it and had such an impact. Um, 
So then Sachs brings this view on top of it. He says his own interpretation where he, he brings up the fact of innovation and essentially technology where basically, you know, you, you think of the Gutenberg press, uh, you know, where it was the thing that launched Martin Luther's teachings and writings all across Europe, all across, you know, it, it exploded. And the fact is, though, that Martin Luther actually wrote all that stuff 200 years before. It was the press that caused everything to explode and to, to have the impact that it did. And so then he, he starts going back and saying, think about the innovation that writing was, you know, where you have, you know, uh, 5,000 years before in uh, Mesopotamia, you have writing established where before it's communication, oral communication. You have to develop a system so that people can together look at this and helps bring unity and, and a new level of, of communication. And uh, so then when you really think about the giving of Torah, you think that we're going from now something that's been orally understood, orally transmitted through a few people, and now you got a whole encounter with a nation, uh, with a ton of people. I mean, this was like, a, this was what? At least 600,000, but some people say 3 million with the, with the mixed multitude and things. And you have now something that's given in a system of, of writing. I mean, heck, we're, we're trying to go back and understand Hebrew more and more. And I think this, this made me go, wow, you know, I need, I need to set more time into really comprehending and understanding more the depth in Hebrew. But this system that we're given to essentially do this. And there's a, you know, it talks about, uh, I don't know if this is Mishnah or, or Talmud, where it says that there's three crowns. One crown of the priesthood, one crown of, uh, I think, kingship. What? Uh, let me see. Kingship and priesthood, but greater is the crown of Torah. Um, and they quote Proverbs where, you know, Proverbs is speaking like as the Torah, and it says, but by me, kings reign and princes decree justice, and by me, princes rule. And so it follows that, you know, the crown of Torah is greater than, than every crown. And um, so, you know, I, I take this as a huge thing to, to go. I think it's simple. I mean, today, now we have so much technology, we have so many things. Um, I think as to become and to step into that role of essentially the princes and the priests and the consecrated to God, it's like focus on those aspects. The consecration, focus on the... Uh, uh, what was the second thing I said? Focus on the, um, the, the aspect of relating to the world and trying to sp spread the unity of God, Judaism, whatever your focus is, but uh, have the impact with the world and rapport, which I think is very lacking in the Jewish world right now. And then on, on third, really to see the innovations and the concepts that are before you that you can utilize, and I think a lot of them are probably staring at you in the face, that you don't think of because you're too focused on what the world sees of them. Blockchain, Bitcoin, you know, crypto, every, all these things that they have so much potential. And, you know, let alone websites and things and whatever the case is, social media um, to utilize in the service of God in some aspect. Um, but I just encourage everybody to, you know, really tr to try to focus more on what I'd say is, you know, in some ways, Jewish outreach and have an impact on the world around them. So, Shabbat Shalom.
So um, I have a superpower called bipolar disorder. <laughs> and what happens is um, I have these huge um, bouts of energy and I, um, and I can thrive on very little sleep and get tons of work done. And then when I got sick a few weeks ago, um, the superpower left me and I needed a normal eight hours of sleep every single day for a long time. But last night, my superpower came back to me and I woke up at like two or three in the morning or something. And I was like, I have so much energy right now. And so I went and studied the Torah and um, my trope and everything. So I have this um, awesome um, insights to share now. <laughs> okay, so um, it's very interesting when you look at the Hebrew. Um, it says in, okay, first of all, when it starts in verse 20, that's the portion that I trope, it says, it says um, in this Bible, it says Hashem, but it doesn't say that. It says in the Hebrew, it says Elohim. Elohim And so it says, it uses the impersonal name of God, Elohim. And it's the, what in Kabbalah, it's known as the, the, the impersonal force, the judgment aspect of, of God. And that's how it starts. So it's giving like this, uh, this like legal uh, groundwork for the 10 words. So it doesn't call them commandments anywhere here. In the 10 commandments, it's actually, it calls them words, hadevarim. And in Judaism, it's called aseret hadibrot, which means uh, the 10 words. And this word devar, it doesn't really mean word like as in a word, like a single word. It's more like a word as like, let me, give, let me give you a word of advice. Like it's an idea, you know, like a, not just um, a single word. Because it's an idea, it can also mean a thing, like a matter or a thing. Okay, so he's saying, Hashem spoke these, these things, these words, these, these matters. And then the very next verse, it says, Anochi Yodhevavhe. So then it goes in and it gives his personal name. So he starts off with a very impersonal title for God, Elohim. Then it goes into his personal name. And so as the lawgiver, the, the very first word in Judaism, not in, in, the, in the Christian Ten Commandments, I am Hashem, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. It's just a prelude, right? But in Judaism, this is the first word. It is the first statement. Not a commandment, but, but a, um, um, uh, it establishes why we should keep the rest of the of the words, right? The authority. I'm Hashem, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage. Now, they say in Judaism that um, there's a midrash that says that Hashem tried to give uh, the, these commandments to all the nations, but only Hashem, uh, excuse me, only Israel accepted them, right? And then, so that's very interesting. But here it says, I, but I brought you out of Egypt. I'm your personal God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Um, okay, and then it says, um, you know, have no other gods besides me. Now, another thing that, you know, a lot of people um, kind of get mixed up is Elohim. Elohim, it, it's used, it's, it's, it's translated as a singular word when it refers to the God of heaven. But the same word, Elohim, it's actually plural form. And I think the best uh, probably um, definition for the word Elohim 
is to say powers or or mites or you know forces. And when we say Elohim, referring to uh, our God in heaven, it's what we're saying is all powers and all forces and all might is actually from this one source. Even as a plural form, it seems like multiple powers. You know, this president, this king, this this hurricane, this tornado. They all seem like many different powers working in our in our universe, but actually it's only one Elohim. There's only one God that really controls all of these things. Um, okay, so don't have any other gods. And the, 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 um, the Hebrew there, when it says besides me, it means before my face. So nothing before me. There may be other powers in this world, but there's nothing that comes before me, right? Before my face. Nothing can stand in my presence. Then it says, <clears throat> I'm going to skip down. It says here um, about not bowing down to idols. And he says that, I, that he visits the iniquity of the parents upon the children, the third and fourth generations, to those who hate me, to those who hate me, right? And then later on it says, but I show kindness, shows kindness to the thousandth generation of those who love me, but he doesn't stop at love me. He also says, and keep my commandments. And so I think it's, that it's very interesting because there's a lot of religions that profess love for God, but who keeps God's commandments, right? That's, 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 that's very few, okay? And then um, another thing that I wanted to point out, okay, back one more thing is when it says, um, it says, oh, do not, take, do not take my name in vain. So this word take, I can't find it right now, where is it? Uh, oh, verse seven, chapter 20, verse seven, it says here, you shall not swear falsely in this specific uh, Bible, but the Hebrew there is um, tisa, which means to lift up and carry. But actually, I, the, the, the more, the more um, literal interpretation of this verse is do not carry my name in vain. Now, I know there's different interpretations of this, but I like this one that I heard from Prager, from Dennis Prager, which is that, that we are not to carry God's name in vain, which means that we're not to bear his name whether it be as a Jew or a Christian or a Muslim or whatever, and, and then do evil things. Because we're like, that's when we're bearing his name. We're like wearing it as a banner. Oh, yes, I'm a Jew. I'm a Christian. I'm a Muslim. I'm a follower of God. I submit to Allah, whatever. And you're killing people and you're murdering people and you're being horrible to people. That this is the most, I mean, of, of course, there's other applications of this verse. But I, I, I think that that is the most important application that I've ever heard is when we bear his name that way. Um, and do horrible things. And we show when we do that, like when we do that to our children, our family, we're showing our children that I don't want that God, you know, and we do that to other people that I don't want that religion, you know, when we do those kinds of things. Well, see, I'll just say that I think they draw the correlation, you know, we the first five and the second five, with that, with don't, do not steal. Uh, and I'll say that draws the correlation with that and with do not steal because there is, yeah, an aspect of caring. It's like carrying off stealing the name of God to a certain degree. So. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, so. Stealing his reputation. Yeah. Okay, and then um, another thing is um, very interesting that I saw is where it says about honor your father and your mother. Now I know there's the whole thing of you should honor your father and mother, like literally you should do that. But it's very interesting that when it says here, um, that you may long endure on the land that Hashem your God is assigning to you or giving to you. And we all know that this is talking about Israel, right? 
But another thing is that it says no ten lach. It's it, this is this is the only time it does this that I can remember in this whole chapter. It most usually it says lecha, which means to you, but here it's saying to you, feminine. And the only application of the feminine that I can understand here is it's because it's speaking to Israel as a nation. And so it's saying when here I, I believe there's a deeper meaning than just honor your earthly mother and father. I believe this is talking about honoring your spiritual mothers and fathers, meaning Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, so that as a nation, because talking about the nation of Israel, so that I will give you as a nation the land of Israel, because it's saying you feminine, and that's Am, nation, is a woman. So to me, that doesn't, it's, it's, it's so abnormally written that I feel like that is more, I think, the, the actual meaning, really, than to just honor your earthly parents. Of course, it also means to honor the earthly parents. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a positive tradition too. She's saying to like the male and female aspects of Hashem. And they also say that, you know, a male and female, he created them. So without both male and female, it's not an accurate representation, but we were just reading that in the um, women's wisdom book that we're studying together as a group. If you guys want to get on that, it's women's wisdom. It's by Ashola Marouche. We're reading through that as a signal chat. Anyways, um, it's supposed to be chapter read. Okay, and one more thing that I wanted to say, very interesting. And I noticed that in, in, in Jewish Bibles, uh, verse 13 is one verse, but then when I was looking at a at a, um, a Christian Bible, each of these commandments were separate. They were It was verse 13, 14, 15, 16, but in, in Jewish Bibles like this and on Chabad, there's two Bibles now, they're all verse 13. And so I was reading Rosh's commentary, and he was saying that the two, the two of them are together because... Um, they are related. How are they related? And he said it's because they are both punishable with, by capital punishment. So if you shall not murder and you shall not commit adultery. So both of those, according to the Torah, are, are, are um, punishable by capital punishment. But then it, the, uh, there was another comment that also said that, you know, you shall not steal. There's some of the sages say that this is not talking about stealing things, but it's actually talking about kidnapping which is great because I have never seen anything about kidnapping before in the Bible until this. So it's saying, because it's, it already says elsewhere, do not steal elsewhere in the Bible, in the Torah, actually. So it's saying this, this is referring to do not steal. And I think it goes along with the previous thing that Rashi said, because from what I remember, kidnapping is also a capital uh, crime, uh, punishable by death. And then we have also, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And um, in Judaism also, uh, I, I believe the halakha is that if you stand before, so of course, you know, you, sh you shouldn't lie, but I think this is more than just that. This is more than just that. It's about when you stand in a court of law and you bear false witness. And if let's say someone is on trial to for murder and, and as a with false witness, you say that, yes, you know, I saw him murder someone. Well, according to Judaism, your punishment for bearing false witness is, is the punishment that you intended to give to him. Because in a way, you were like, 
you're trying to be complicit in his murder, right? And so they're all together because they're all, they're all capital crimes. So I thought that was very interesting that it was grouped that way. And that's all I have. No, like, right, so in the American, American system, adultery is not punishable at all, <laughs> right, not anymore. And then kidnapping, there's people that kidnap people and they get off after just, what, a few years? It's terrible. And then uh, what else? Bearing false witness. If you're a false witness, nothing happens to you. There's, is, there, is there a punishment for being a false witness? Yeah, burn, 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 burn. and it's more severe there's perjury and it can be way more severe if it's a military trial but uh i want to say that a lot of these laws actually started probably more uh punishable like when they first were founded because a lot of our founding fathers were actually fluent in hebrew and greek and they knew the bible and they actually knew actually some talmud and everything um so uh, I mean, the u.s system actually is pretty based off of the the jewish system it's not punishable by death no but it is punishable by prison time and adultery in most states is also a crime Adultery in most states is still on the books as a crime. It's not really enforced. In the military, it is. In the military, if you're an officer and you mess around with somebody else's wife, you're going to jail. <laughs> jail she said jail and death is kind of different. <laughs> <laughs> Eat and study for free in jail. There is also a there's a guy who has like a million dollars. He has like a lot of money, right? And at the time he tells somebody, uh, I don't know. Winian's comment of going to jail so she can study. I was like, there's an old story of a, like a very rich guy who had a lot of money and there, he, uh, him and a, and, a, and a poor guy made a deal where um, he says, I guess he volunteered and said, I'll, I can spend, I'll spend 10 years in like a, like a, like a room, like, like, like a prison type thing, but like I'll, I'll spend 10 years. And uh, if you, and he's like, if you make the 10 years, then I'll give you a million dollars type thing. So the time goes by and he's feeding him every day and uh, the guy does the whole thing and he's, he's asking for books, he gets books and he basically goes the entire 10 years and he studies and, you know, he comes out and uh, the millionaire by that time is poor because he's spent all his money feeding this guy and uh, obviously the way it goes. But the guy comes out and he says, it's okay because the 10 years I spent studying and learning all these different topics and things are like, Worth more. Well, worth more, yeah, than all that. Worth more than a million dollars.
relationship with Hashem, mm -hmm. there's a severing of your relationship with your spouse, that kind of death, and it, 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 is, it surely happens whether, whether you're punished by law or not. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Murder. Yeah, murder yeah, so, always... you know, we're like, so, well, if it is all changed, then we now live in a society that these behaviors seemingly have no consequences. You know, it's very hard, right? But uh, they explain that the consequences are surely there and uh, it's, it's all that, you know, the death expresses itself differently. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's all going to pass a law to take away parenthood and, and, and make make children wards of the state. California is going crazy. Yeah. To make them wards of the state. They want to take away parenthood. They've done that in Soviet Union and China. It's communism. Yeah. Yeah, kibbutz is voluntary. It's different. It's voluntary communism. No, you live there. You live there. Kibbutz, you live there. You, you, you do it to live, to live in a community, too, and to share share um, resources and stuff. Yeah, Yishai, Yishai was about to join a kibbutz in, in Israel, and it was this uh, company, they made bomb shelters. They made bomb shelters for different countries, and so they were very wealthy, and it was very communistic, like you were assigned a place to live, and you were assigned a job, but they were very good people, so they were, you know, they were godly people, so they would it was good communism. <laughs> good But the children don't choose, even when they're your your kids too. They still don't choose. No. <laughs> no. I think even even in um, modern orthodoxy, there's there's a sense of when the kids go to school, at least. When they get maybe into like high school age, they kind of go off to to like a to a yeshiva. Yeah, they're not really at home. Sometimes, I mean, my friend, I was just talking to you on work from work, um, and he was he he moved to Israel when he was two, and then he 
And then he went to yeshiva in the, in the U.S. It's far away from his family, right? But I guess they trusted that he would be in an environment that would still you know, raise him, you know, be a good influence on him. All the best. Mm -hmm. oh, is this working? No, it's just, you know, when my, for some of my family, when I say, when I tell them Christine is uh, homeschooling, right? They get like crazy. They look at me like, what are you doing? Like, why don't you do that to your daughter? Like, this is insane. Like, my brother, he was like, he was really like, this is crazy because he believes that you should not uh, educate your your kids. own children. No, like you should send them to, you should not keep them home and teach them because he feels like that's doing harm to the to the uh, to the child. For sure, mm -hmm. he's convinced about that. And I tried, yeah, I was I, I tried to explain him, but he doesn't understand. Like he's so into it. But my mom, she's like, oh. I pray the Lord, I'm so happy she's, she's not going to school, you know, for so many reasons, like maybe not because you could, yeah, it's my mom. But all that to say that there are some people that they truly believe is a good thing to send them. And for some people that may be good. Like I know like there's some environments that are not good for kids at home, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I don't have that issue. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. And there, I mean, and there's always like, you know, the, the really bad kid that no, you can't straighten them out and you send them off to like military school or something to, to, to get them, you know. You're like military school, though. You know, like, no. Their morals go down, their discipline is up. All right. Continue. We'll turn to page 77 for um, Psalm 145. Page 77. Tehila <laughs> Koyum Avrakeka, the Ahala Shimkale Lamba Ed, Gadolaronai Umhalome O, Belig Dulato Enkeke, Dole Doya Sabak Maseka, Ugurataka Yagi do, a dark evodo de Kaniveka, Asika. Vezus noreteka yomeru, 
Ubdulataka asaprena, Sekherab tukayabi u, Vizita kekane nenu, Hanun verahum adonai, the wreck of Paimudaka said, Tobadanai la ko, Rakamab a ko masa, Yoduka adanai ko maseka, Behasideka ye rehuka. Kabod Mahutecha Yomeru, Kuguratecha Yada Beru, the dear Liva de Adam Gebrota, Ugvoda Damahuto, Mahutka Mahut called Olami, to Memshotecha Beho Dorbador, to make Adonai Leko Hanoklim, Bezokefleko Hakehupim. Ene kolelecha yasaberu veatanotenechem batem beito Oteake yadecha Umatsbi aloko karaton Sadi karanai beko derecha Behasid beko maasa Karovadanai la kokorea Beko ashir ikre uve emet Raton nere avyase the et Shabbatam Yishma Yoshiem, Shomer Adonakova, the et Koshmaim Yashmit, Lila Adonaya da Berti, Iva Reko Besar Shem Kotcholel Lambae. All right. And Seder Hayom on page 82. <coughs> A redeemer will come to Zion and to those of Yaakov who turn, turn from transgression, says Hashem. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says Hashem. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have placed in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor out of the mouth of your seed, nor out of the, nor out of the mouth of your seed seed, says Hashem, from this moment and forevermore. You are the Holy One enthroned on the praises of Israel. And one called to another and said, Kadosh, 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 Adonai Tzavaot, Holy, holy, holy is Hashem of hosts. All the earth is filled with his renown. They receive permission from each other and say, Holy in the heavens on high, home of his presence. Holy on the earth, the work of his power. Holy transcending all time. This is Hashem of hosts. The whole world is filled with the radiance of his glory. Then a wind lifted me up and I heard behind me the voice of a great rushing. Blessed is the glory of Hashem from his abiding place. And the wind lifted me up, and I heard the sound of a great movement behind me of one's praising, saying, Blessed is the glory of Hashem from the place of the home of his abiding presence. Hashem shall reign forever and ever. The dominion of Hashem is eternally established forever. And the Misha Berach on page 85, um, when I say bless the sick, say the name out loud. May the one who bless our fathers and our mothers, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, may he bless the sick. My my mom and um, the, the whole the Taylor family not feeling well, and Manuela Viles. May the Holy Blessed One overflow with compassion upon them to restore them, to heal them, to strengthen them, to rejuvenate them. May send them speedily a complete healing from heaven, a healing of the soul and a healing of the body, speedily without delay. And let us all say, Amen. Amen. And a prayer for our government. 
page 86. Our God and God of our ancestors, accept with mercy our prayer for our land and its government. Pour out your blessing on this land and on its president, judges, officers, and officials who, who work faithfully for the public good. Teach them from the laws of your Torah. Enlighten them with the rules of your justice so that peace, tranquility, happiness, and freedom will never depart from our land. God of all that lives, please bestow your spirit on all the inhabitants of our land and plant love, fellowship, peace, and friendship.